You're listening to the Word of Life AG Podcast. This is the message from this week's service. If you want to view the full service, including worship, please head to our website at wordoflifeag.org. While there, you can also see what's coming up at the church, or even check out some next steps. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Good morning. Good morning. Well, before we jump right in, I just wanted to share, somebody came down and gave me a word today that they felt um, that was for somebody in here, or maybe all of us. And we believe um, as a church, and we believe as followers of Christ, that God gives us words sometimes um, for the building up of believers. So I just want to share with you um, what this word is, and I believe it really does tie into the message today, so I hope that encourages you. The word is, I am the lamb that was slain. You are worshiping the lamb that was not just slain, but resurrected. He is victorious and was the only one that could make a way for us. All right. Well, We are in week four of our Overcome series. This is actually our final weekend in this series. Um, If you have not had the opportunity yet to catch up on week one, two, and three, I would highly suggest that you go back into the archives and you watch those um, messages or listen to them because I really truly believe that these messages on overcoming are really going to inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. So I want to share with you this morning a little bit about um, our oldest son Elijah and something really cool that happened in the last two weeks. So our oldest son, Elijah, he's 11 years old, and he is just um, finishing up elementary school. So about a couple weeks ago, we were at his step-up service or moving up or graduation. I call it the fifth-grade graduation service, and um, we watched our son graduate from fifth grade. It's our first kid to leave elementary school. It's a little bit um, crazy. Yes. He was so excited for me to share that with you guys, by the way. He, he actually asked me to tell him the story over and over again this weekend because he loved it. So I had to tell you, though, that that wasn't the best part of his graduation. So when we were at his graduation, if you've been to those before, you know that they give out certificates. They give out awards in that um, throughout the year. They choose students to nominate for a presidential award. Well, they, he surprised us that night with a presidential award. So here's a picture of Elijah. He's holding up his certificate. This is like right after, you can just keep up there for a second. This is him right after his um, graduation. Now, he knew he was going to be getting this award, and yet he kept it to himself. He wanted to surprise us because he knew that we would be so proud of him. But I'll tell you something. When I saw that he was going to be getting this award, and when he stood up amongst all of his peers, I cried. I lost it unashamedly, full-on ugly cry, shoulders going up and down, snot, tears, everything. He was embarrassed. He drug me out literally took me by the hand afterwards and drug me outside. However, 
This is why I cried. It's because my oldest son, Elijah, he was diagnosed with autism at four years old. And I am very aware of all of Elijah's challenges. All of the challenges that he's had along the way. I've sat through endless amounts of IEP meetings where they have told us all of the challenges that Elijah has. And we have listened to reports after reports after reports of where he hasn't quite caught up with his peers. We have taken him to therapy since he was three years old, to different types of therapies, to speech, to occupational, to physical therapy. We've done the outpatient therapies. We've done in-school therapies. And we've done in-home therapy as well. So we have, are very aware of all of Elijah's challenges. We are aware that Elijah works extremely hard every single day at school. That things that would come easy for us do not come easy for Elijah. To get on the bus with noisy kids, to have that transition from home to school is difficult for Elijah. To have math, writing, reading, science, all of his specials are difficult. Even PE is difficult for him, and recess is difficult for him to, when it comes to social interaction. And even lunch, when he should be feeling like he's taking a break, is difficult for Elijah to overcome all of the noise and the overstimulation. So when Elijah comes home every single day, he's exhausted and tired and just wants some downtime. We see this at home. I'm aware that he has to work a lot harder than most of his peers. And he doesn't get recognized typically, not because of his lack of effort, but because of the measure we typically use to recognize. So typically he doesn't go with recognition for how hard he works. He doesn't have the grades. He, however, his effort is 150% all the time. And we were able to watch him get recognized amongst his peers for all of his hard work. And I cried because he was getting recognized for something that was so well-deserved and something that hasn't been recognized and doesn't typically get recognized, but his teachers recognized it. And it wasn't the many participatory ribbons that we already have at home. This was an award that his peers also were given. Elijah has overcome many challenges in his 11 years of life so far that many of us might take for granted. It took three years of working with Elijah for him to be able to use scissors. It took six years of working with Elijah for him to ride a bicycle. He just learned how to tie shoes last year. We know that it is, life is without challenges for him. And they probably have been without challenges since even before his autism diagnosis, before we even knew he had autism. Life is not without challenges for any of us, though. Elijah has challenges. I have challenges. You have challenges. However, some of us still seem to be surprised by how difficult life is. We're surprised by the bumps and the heartaches in our journey. 
And we find ourselves often questioning why, comparing our journey to others' journeys, measuring our challenges against others' challenges. Even as Christ followers, we can allow our challenges to develop a victim mentality in us instead of an overcomer's mentality. Have you ever found yourself in that spot or maybe met someone like that? Someone who's unable to look past their own pain to see those around them in pain. Or maybe your pain could never be as bad as the pain that someone else is going through. Makes me think of a doctor's office, and it's like as if you walked into a doctor's office with a broken arm, and you were sitting there, and you were talking to the patients around you about how difficult this broken arm was, and how it was holding you back, and how painful it was, and how it was going to take forever for it to heal, and you were just going on and on. Meanwhile, the person next to you is bleeding from their head. Or maybe the patient next to you actually has a broken arm but it's not exactly broken in the same spot as yours, so it couldn't possibly be as bad as your broken arm. Or maybe you woke up this morning and your car was scratched, and it's already been the worst day because your car is scratched. Meanwhile, driving in, you drove by a major car accident where someone's car is totaled and people are hurt. Or maybe you walked into church this morning and someone didn't say hello to you, but you watched them say hello to everyone else. However, you didn't say hello to a single person. Or maybe you feel like the pain and loss that your family is feeling is infinitely worse than other hurting families. We are not meant to be a victim. We are meant to be overcomers. We are not meant to stay in that place. It doesn't mean that life doesn't hurt but we are meant to be overcomers. Our challenges give us an opportunity to overcome. Our challenges give us an opportunity to overcome. Jesus didn't promise us a life without challenges, but he warned us that we would have challenges and heartache. He warned us that these things were to come. A couple of months ago, I was talking with Pastor Annie, and we were just talking about difficulties and challenges that we walk through in life and our responses to them. And I loved how she said this. She said that when we're facing difficulties and challenges, instead of asking, why me, we should ask, why not me? Why not me? Because everyone faces challenges. It's a promise that we will face challenges. However, the good news is he offers us hope. I want to go ahead and pray this morning before we continue. God, I just thank you for every single person that is in here this morning. God, I pray that as we're listening and um, taking in your scriptures, your word, God, I pray that those areas of our heart that uh, might be hurt this morning, um, that God, that they would hear your truth. God, that um, you would heal what is broken. You were comfort where comfort is needed. That you give peace where peace is needed. You give joy that doesn't make any sense this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, however, the good news is he offers us hope. This is what Jesus says in John. 
He says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. That's the good news, right? But take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus reminds them of his peace, and then he tells the disciples that they will have trials and sorrows. It wasn't a maybe you will have trials and suffering, but it was a guarantee. He was preparing them for what was to come. The good news, however, however, is that he overcame the world, that we have something to look forward to even amongst our trials and suffering. Jesus suffered and died, and he did what he promised. He defeated death. He defeated the grave. Therefore, we are victorious. Jesus reminds the disciples that he is victorious even when our current situation doesn't look victorious. It doesn't change the end of the story. He is victorious and we will live in his victory. In the Zondervan exegetical commentary, this is what it says. It says, it is the victory of God that the Christian celebrates, knowing that all enemies, past, present, and future, have already been defeated even death itself. For this reason, when Christians stand with God, they also stand beyond the world, for they understand everything which the world can bring against them. The anxiety of blindness has been taken away from them, and the future is no longer threatening. This is God's victory, but it also belongs to the children of God. Don't you love that? That it's God's victory, but it also belongs to us. His victory is our victory. His victory is our victory. When we understand that Jesus' victory means we are victorious, it helps us to have a different perspective when it comes to our trials. It helps us to have a different perspective. It doesn't change the challenges and difficulties that we're walking through, but it changes our perspective. We are meant to walk through our trials as overcomers, knowing that one day we will live fully in his victory. In 1 Corinthians, it says this, Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? We know that Jesus defeated death. Therefore, we can move forward in victory knowing one day we will be in heaven with our heavenly father. One day we'll be with him in heaven. Here are a few things that we can put into practice that will help us when we face trials and heartbreak. The first thing is to practice peace. To be an overcomer, we need to practice peace. It says in John 14, I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. The peace that Jesus is talking about is a peace that can only be found through him. Some of us are looking to the world to provide us peace. I think that some of us are looking to the world even when we don't know that we're looking for, to the world. We're, not, we're looking to other things that are not Jesus. We keep looking to other places, to people to provide us peace, and we keep coming up empty. It doesn't offer peace. It keeps coming up empty. In fact, we just find the opposite of it, that we're less peaceful, that we're more hurt and we're more broken. 
We may be dependent on self-help books, which are great, but we never go to the source. We may be dependent on unhealthy relationships to validate our feelings and find that it only leads to anger and resentment, the opposite of peace. See, validation of emotions does not always equal peace. Sometimes we think we just need to be validated, and we find out that it actually didn't offer what we hoped it would. For example, gossip will not lead us to peace. It never leads us to peace. In fact, it not only fails to bring you peace, but it also destroys peace for others. So it's not going to give you any peace, but it's going to rob other people of their peace. Often we gossip and judge others because we're passing on our own offense to those around us. Sometimes we can become overly focused on self. Everything is filtered through how we feel without considering those around us, or a bigger picture. And we find that our lives are filled with chaos, drama, and worry, and we wonder why. And some of us may claim that chaos, drama, and worry always seems to find us. But why does it always seem to find you? Are you operating in the peace God wants to give you, or are you operating out of something else, something different? If you are plugging, in, plugging into these things, they will rob you of your peace. If you're plugging into sin, sin will always rob you of your peace. It will always rob you of your peace. Offense will always rob you of your peace. If you're walking around easily offended or looking to be offended, you will not have peace. A negative mindset will rob you of your peace. If everything in life has a negative spin on it, it will rob you of your peace. Gossip will rob you of your peace. Unhealthy relationships will rob you of your peace. How many of you know that? If you're in an unhealthy relationship, you will be robbed of your peace, right? Self-sabotage. Some of us have self-sabotaging behavior. We always think people have the worst of intentions or we're expecting people and things to disappoint us. We go through life expecting the bottom to fall out all of the time. That will rob us of our peace. But the Expositor's Bible Contrary says this, The peace Jesus spoke of could not be exemption from conflict and trial. Jesus himself had been troubled by the impending crucifixion. The peace he spoke of here is the calmness of confidence in God. Jesus had this peace because he was sure of the Father's love and approval. He could therefore move forward to meet the crisis without fear or hesitation. The world can give only false peace, which mostly comes from the ignorance of peril or self-reliance. With this promise of peace, he repeated the words of comfort he had spoken in reply to Peter's earlier question. The disciples must have continued to show their dismay as they contemplated Jesus' departure. This is very different from the way we can try to find peace, right? We can try to find peace through sin, offense, negative mindsets, gossip, unhealthy relationships, and self-sabotage. But if you are searching for things that don't bring peace, you will not find peace. 
However, if we are plugging into the gift of peace that has been given to us, when it, then it won't matter what comes our way because we will have peace despite our circumstances. We won't go chasing those things that are contrary to the peace that has been given, and we will approach the things that come our way with a peace that doesn't make sense. You ever known those people that seem very peaceful even though the whole world around them is chaotic? even though their life is really challenging. I know that I always aspire to be like those people. And I've experienced it myself in different challenges in life where there's been a peace that just doesn't make sense for what's going on. And I know that that comes from God. It's the same peace that Paul speaks about in Philippians, where he says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. This peace that we need to be an overcomer is a peace that we cannot gain ourselves or from the world around us. We can try and we will fail. This is proven over and over again. I have tried and failed. You likely have to. It's time to find peace, true peace, and the only place we can find it, which is Jesus. In Philippians 4.12, which is a few verses down from the last verse, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. This is a peace that's unconditional. This is a peace that will not make sense given our current situations. And it's a peace despite our current situation. As Christ followers, we have a peace that the world wants, that the world is searching for. And until people receive the peace that only he offers, they will keep coming up empty on counterfeits. So the first thing is, to be an overcomer, we need to practice peace. The second thing is, we need to practice joy. In John 16, it says, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn over what is going to happen to me, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will suddenly turn to wonderful joy. It will be like a woman suffering the pains of labor. When her child is born, her anguish gives way to joy because she has brought a new baby into the world. So you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Then you will rejoice, and no one can rob you of that joy. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Jesus talks about the joy that the disciples will have. But the joy that they will have doesn't mean that they will not face trials. It doesn't mean that they won't miss Jesus being there physically, right? We've already read that Jesus promises that they definitely will have trials and sorrows and difficult days. But Jesus says that their grief will turn to joy when they see him again, when they begin to understand the significance of his death and resurrection. In the Zondervan exegetical commentary, it says, the definitive and permanent nature of the disciples' joy is not based upon the absence of any future grief and affliction, but the placement of all grief and suffering into the larger context of death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. There is a bigger picture that we cannot lose sight of. The bigger 
picture keeps us grounded in the peace that we're talking about. It will keep you grounded. Joy is not about our current situation. It is fixing our eyes on what is to come. And we see this in the book of Hebrews where it says, Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus knew that there was joy on the other side of the cross. It doesn't mean that he loved the cross. He didn't enjoy the cross, but he knew there was joy on the other side. We know, in fact, that he sweat blood in anticipation of the cross. But he knew that there was joy on the other side. Jesus focused on what his own suffering would produce, and that filled him with joy. He knew that his suffering would produce something great. And that was worth it, and that brought him joy. Having joy doesn't mean that we don't also feel pain. Joy isn't the absence of sadness and pain, and joy is most certainly not pretending that we do not have pain. Our joy can come when we realize that one day all things will be restored, and we will see Jesus' face, and our current pain and suffering will be gone forever. In verse 24 of John, it said, You haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. The invitation to pray is accompanied with the promise that it will lead to joy. Not happiness, but joy. Joy that supersedes circumstances or seasons. Joy that can only come from the Father. The New Bible Commentary says, Prayer becomes more vital after the departure of Jesus. It is seen as the means of ensuring a constant fullness of joy. Praying is important. Spending time with Jesus is important. We practice joy when we spend time with Jesus and allow him to give us his joy. We allow him to give us perspective. Through joy, he gives us a perspective beyond ourselves and beyond our current circumstances. So, the first thing that we need if we want to be an overcomer is to practice peace. The second thing is to practice joy. And the third thing is to practice courage. And John, it says, take heart, for I will overcome the world. Take heart, for I will overcome the world. The Greek word for to take heart is courage. It means courage. And it takes courage to overcome Oxford Dictionary defines courage as the ability to do something that frightens one and or strength in the face of pain or grief. To have courage means that we have to have actual circumstances that require courage. You can't have courage without experiencing difficult things, without being afraid first, without being in pain first. To do something despite being afraid or to show strength through our own pain. That's what courage is. Courage is produced when we do something courageous. It's one of those things we don't know we have it until we do it. We see the Greek word for courage in the story of Jesus walking on water. If you remember the story where the disciples are in the boat 
and they're in the middle of a storm and they're afraid. They're afraid. I can only imagine being out in this boat and probably the waves are getting bigger and bigger and the boat is rocking back and forth and they begin to call for Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He begins to, uh, they see him out there walking on the water and he says, don't be afraid. Take courage, I am here. Once Peter heard the words of Jesus, he stepped out in courage. He stepped out of the boat in courage and began to walk on water. Knowing that Jesus was with him helped Peter to step out and do something scary, to act courageously. When we trust God, we will hear his voice and we will be courageous when we experience fear, pain, and suffering. And we also see courage in Paul. There are many uh, verses that I could bring to show this, but I want to read from 2 Timothy where it says, The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them, but the Lord stood with me and gave me strength so that I might preach the good news in its entirety for all Gentiles to hear. And he rescued me from certain death. Yes, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul certainly knows what it's like to go through trials. He certainly knows. Yet his perspective is an eternal perspective. He has been persecuted. He's almost died or almost been killed. He's been deserted, and now he's in prison. Paul knows and trusts that God will bring him through whatever he faces, even if that means death. His joy and peace are found in God. They are not dependent on whether he is rescued or his own safety, but in the confidence of knowing one day he will be in heaven and he will experience the fullness of God's kingdom. By applying both joy and peace to our circumstances, we can approach our trials and suffering with courage because our confidence is in Jesus who has overcome the world. So we can practice peace, we can practice joy, and we can practice courage to become overcomers. But to be overcomers, we need to know that his victory is our victory. Know that his victory is your victory. Know that you will be victorious. Whether you see it on earth or you see it in heaven, we are on the winning side. We know the end of the story. In Philippians it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. We... We know that one day we will see the fullness of his victory. And as Tom talked about last week, in Revelation it says, Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. 
one day we will be in heaven and look back on everything, not with sadness, not in defeat, but in victory. One day God will bring everything into his control and we will no longer experience pain, brokenness, disappointment, and suffering. And Revelation 21, it's one of my favorite verses because it has brought me so much comfort in my own life. It says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. All of these things will be gone forever, forever. That is a promise that brings me peace, joy, and courage. My pain and difficulties on this earth will not last forever. We know the end of the story. We know that Jesus defeated death and that he will, we will dwell in heaven with him. We will dwell in heaven with our Father. We can approach life as overcomers because he overcame. We are on the winning side regardless of what life looks like, regardless of what our situations look like. We need to act like the victors that we are. We need to stop going through life like Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, just looking for life to not work out, expecting the worst. We need to pick ourselves up and stop seeking out of a, out offense, stop seeking out disappointment because enough bad things will happen without us having to look for them. When we encounter the worst of the worst, it does not change who he is. It doesn't change that he is victorious. It doesn't change the fact that he overcame sin and death and I will one day too. Let's act like overcomers that we are, overcomers that know that despite our worst day, the unimaginable, the injustice we may face, he is victorious, which means we are too. Again, John 16, it says, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. He has overcome the world. And we overcome when we practice his peace. We overcome when we practice his joy. And we overcome when we practice his courage. And we overcome when we know his victory is our victory. When we operate in the peace, joy, courage, and confidence he gives us, we are overcomers. The world will want to know why you have peace in impossible situations, why you can still find joy in your own pain and suffering, why you continue to operate in strength despite the fear and pain that should hold you back. Why will the world want to know? Because it's contrary to what the world will offer, contrary to how it should feel and look, and contrary to what they experience. They will want to know about this Jesus that gives you peace, joy, and courage. The world is attracted to the stories of overcomers and Jesus has the greatest story of them all. That's worth clapping for, yeah. Yeah, so um, let's be examples of his victory to the world, right? So I have a few questions for you guys today that I would like you to consider. Maybe get out a piece of paper or a pen or write on your phone, whatever it is, to just think about this week. 
The first thing is, am I operating in peace and do I bring peace to others? Am I operating in peace and do I bring peace to others? Or does chaos seem to always be around me and do I pass my chaos off onto others? Second thing, do I actively pursue joy or do I allow my circumstances to rob me of the joy he has for me? Can we not see beyond what we're going through? Can we not see the big picture? Third thing, do I hold back or become defeated when life is difficult or when I'm afraid? Or do I step out in the courage that he gives me? Do I hold back or do I take that step? That step that requires me to be courageous. It's a risk that when we step out. The fourth thing, where can I see his victories current in, currently in my life? And do I hold an eternal perspective or a here and now perspective? When we have a here and now perspective, we definitely won't feel victorious. And we definitely won't feel courageous. And we definitely will not have joy or peace. But when we see God is victorious and therefore we are victorious, it changes our perspective. Fifth thing, do I consider myself an overcomer? And if not, what can I focus on this week to start to change that? Do I need to focus on more peace? Do I need to go to the Father and ask him for more peace in my life? Do I need to stop chasing the things that don't give me peace? Do I need more joy in my life? Am I missing joy in my life? Have I forgotten what Jesus has done for me? Have I forgotten that one day that this won't matter anymore? That all the things that I go through in my life will not matter in an instant. And do we, do you have courage? Do you need to work on having more courage? Maybe you haven't stepped out in a long time. Maybe you've just kind of found yourself sitting in your own grief and in your own troubles because you're afraid that if I step out, there might be more troubles waiting on the other side of stepping out. It takes courage to take that step. So maybe that's what you need to focus on this week. Maybe you need to just focus on reminding yourself that he is victorious. That the end of the story is we win. That despite what our life looks like right now, he wins. I win. And I am victorious because he is victorious. If we have these things in our lives, our lives will be completely different. And I'm not coming to you because I have them all together. I certainly do not. I certainly have to remind myself of the very things that we've talked about today. And I know that some of us in here, we're dealing with some really difficult things. We're going through some really big struggles in life. 
it's not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story that God has for you. The end of the story isn't just all of these heartaches and all of these things that you've collected along the way, but his story for you is that one day you will see his face and there will be no more pain and there'll be no more suffering and there'll be no more tears. And that one day we can look forward to that. So if you're in here today and you might say, Pastor Megan, I don't know what it's like to have peace, joy, courage, victory, because I haven't even made Jesus number one yet in my life. I haven't made that decision yet to make him king of my life. I want everybody to bow their heads, close their eyes. And if you would say today that life just isn't working out, life isn't working out for me because I haven't prioritize Jesus. I haven't made him number one in my life. I haven't accepted the invitation that he's given me. If you would say that that is you this morning and you're ready to make a change, you're ready to make that, take that next step of courage, trust in God this morning. If you would raise your hand, I would love to pray with you. If you're online with us, you can also raise your hand and someone will reach out to you through online. But if that's you this morning, I'm looking over to my right and I'm just gonna make my way across the room. If you just put your hand up, just so that I can see it, I would love to pray with you. So I'm over on my right, your left. I'm in the center of the room. If that's you and you'd like to put your hand up, I would love to pray with you. And on my left, your right, that's you. And I don't want to leave anybody out, so I'm just going to go across the room one more time if that's you and you want to make that decision this morning. With everybody's heads bowed, eyes closed, just put your hand up long enough for me to see it. Yeah, I see you. Yes, I see you. else that I can pray with. All right, can we celebrate those who raised their hands this morning? It's the best decision, decision that you could ever make. And that was a courageous step. We were just talking about courage and to step out there and to say, God, I want to make you the king of my life. I want to accept you in my life. To do that and to raise your hand up is a step of courage. So I'm so proud of you this morning. Proud of those of you online who raised your hand. Please don't leave today without telling someone. If everyone could stand to their feet, we're going to get ready to go back into worship. But I just want to say that if you're in here today and you would say, I haven't been going through life as an overcomer. 
I've been letting the knocks of life, this, my circumstances just bring me down and keep bringing me down. That I've lost sight of what God has for me. I've lost sight of the promises of God. Please don't leave here today without making that right with God this morning. We're gonna go back into a song that we sang a little bit earlier. And it's, I really believe that as you're declaring this over your life and you're singing this, that you're gonna start to see your perspectives change, your perspectives shift, that you're gonna start to feel like I'm an overcomer despite my own circumstances, despite my own grief. So I'm gonna ask the prayer team to come forward. Any elders that are in here or pastors, if you would come forward and be ready to pray for people. If you made a decision today, please come forward and get prayer this morning and let someone know you made that decision. If you're here today and you need prayer because you're going through something really difficult in life, or maybe you just need to make things right at the altar, I'm gonna encourage you to do that as we go back into this song. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to jump back in. God, we just pray right now, God. I pray for every single person in this room, God. God, that no matter how difficult, how hard life is, God, that you have a plan and you have a purpose, God, and you give us peace that doesn't make sense. You give us joy that doesn't make sense. You help us to act courageously when we are scared and when we are hurt and when we are in pain. God, and we can say that your victory is our victory. This morning, God, I just pray, God, that that would be true in every single one of our lives. God, that we would leave here today feeling victorious, feeling like overcomers. In Jesus' name.